like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. This is the podcast that's been created to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So (laughs) wherever you're listening from today, on behalf of the team, on behalf of everybody at Yarra, I want to say thank you. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Paul Joy and I'm delighted today to present another conversation with a Yarra old grammarian, a yog. We're going to unpack some of the memories, the journey, the impact and the influence that they felt while at school and where life has taken them and the decisions and choices that they have made since then. In just a moment, we're going to say good day to Claire Atkinson from the class of 2009, an engineer working in the field of public transport. Critical, critical work. So much of the safety and reliability of thousands and thousands of passengers every day is in the hands of Claire and her team. She's a thinker. We explore some creativity in the midst of her engineering methodical mind. She's thoughtful and she's certainly on a journey. Enjoy this conversation with Claire Atkinson from the class of 2009. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. The opportunity that we have every episode to sit down with another yog, a Yarra old grammarian, and we unpack a little of their journey through school and then explore some of the twists and turns of life as they've made choices and decisions, followed their uh, interests, and perhaps had some decisions made for them along the way. And today we get to sit down with Claire Atkinson from the class of 2009. Claire, hello, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Claire, I wonder if you might begin by telling us um, when you started your journey at Yarra. What year were you in and and what did it feel like when you first started? Well, I actually started in ELC. I was one of those lucky few that went all the way through. I didn't go to a different school. I was ELC to year 12. Wow. Uh, In terms of uh, how did it feel, I have no idea. I can't really remember my first day. Boy, oh boy, that's significant. And every now and then we get to meet people who have had such a long journey with Yarra. And uh, so that's really exciting. I'm I'm wrapped to have this opportunity. In that time, though, and and what it's got to be the best part of 13, 14, maybe even 15 years, you would have seen lots of changes in the school. Were you at the school when, I don't know, when the ovals were just mud or has it always been pretty good looking out there on the ovals? Uh, It did go through a phase when there was a big mud pit and uh, the ovals were very bare. I remember in primary school there was, it was just a lot of grass and now there's some pretty amazing buildings up the back and uh, the scoreboard I think that was the most significant thing in primary school was the hanging out the scoreboard because uh, that's all that was there in <laughs> on those ovals. 
Yeah, absolutely. What, do you remember, say, if we go to, to when you were at ELC, did you have a uniform as such or could you just wear whatever you liked? Do you remember? Uh, we could wear whatever we liked, but we did have the school uh, sports uniform still. Uh, so you could wear the school jumper and uh, tracky pants. Uh, so there's a couple of photos of me in, in those clothes, but mostly it was a, a free dress day every day. And, and, of course, back in those days, you're not really choosing your clothes anyway, are no. you? I guess somebody else is yeah. in charge yeah. of that. <laughs> it's whatever's clean. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And and more often than not, probably not clean by the end of that day. And, uh, and so it's constant washing at home. Oh, definitely. I think we all got sent to school with spare clothes because we'd go outside and play in the mud at some stage. For sure, and and a great part of uh, growing up, I, I think. Tell me then, if you can recall, let's think about camps. Now, you wouldn't have had camps in your early years of school, but probably by getting to grade maybe four, five or six, you might have gone on. Is there a particular camp that you remember? Well, I do remember the first camp, which was grade two. Uh, it was a grade two, grade three joint camp, and we went to Portsea. Uh, it was only for a couple of nights, but that was a really big deal, Uh hadn't been away from mum and dad for that long uh, with a non-relative and uh, we got buddied up with uh, the year three, um, the cohort above and it's a good way to make friends outside your year level then and get to know the older students even if they're only one year older. Yeah, for sure and and camps are a great way to do that because you – even though there's activity, there's, you're spending considerably more time with each other and meal time, and then cleaning up and looking after your room and your bunks and all of that sort of thing. Mm. And I like the idea of co-curricular activities lending themselves to that opportunity to meet people in a different context. What co-curricular activities did you really enjoy that you remember? Let's stay with junior school at the moment. Did you love sport? Were you enjoying um, some of the other things that maybe were available to you? I was definitely a music nerd all through my school life, uh, but definitely when I started, uh, I started playing violin in year two. It was a program that Yara ran. You could start a an, interest, an instrument, either violin or cello, and I chose the violin. And uh, ever since then I was, I, I loved the music school. I wanted to be involved with anything and everything to do with music. Fantastic. And um, I, I was also, I did a bit of sport as well. I was a swimmer. And uh, so I, in primary school, I did a lot of swimming for Yarra and uh, in the, uh, like the, the sports, but I also went to state championships a couple of times in primary school and uh, swam for the older kids as well when I was in grade five, grade six. That was that was exciting. So I'd be hanging out with the high schoolers uh, and uh, filling in uh, for relays and that kind of thing when they were short on swimmers. One of the great things I think about Yarra and a great opportunity that we could probably do even better is that sort of junior school and middle school link where students get to not only be on the same site and be part of the same activity, but actually get to know each other and and do activities like that together. Mm. Because certainly for the younger person, it means a lot, doesn't it, to to be able to match it with the the older kids? 
Yeah, definitely. No, I remember I've, I've got a memory of me in year one, I believe, and we were paired up with either year 11s or year 12s. I just remember they were these ginormous um, kids that were so much older. I thought they were adults and uh, we were singing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer for the Christmas concert and uh, we'd peek out on the sides and and uh, when they're uh, doing their moves and uh, it, it was so much fun. It was just so cool to be hanging out with the big kids. I think... I think there's a term for that and and we call it the Yaris spirit, that there's a sense of all being in it together and and whether you're older kids, younger kids, there's a a sense of care and connection with each other. Do you, what, what, what comes to mind if I offer the phrase Yaris spirit? Is that something that you were aware of? Oh, it's, it's definitely there. It's a community at Yarra and, it's definitely a community with, it's not just the students, it's the parents as well. I know my mum and dad got very involved in the school and uh, all the teachers as well. So even today, I'm still you know, Facebook friends with uh, some of the teachers from high school. Uh, so it, yeah, the, the Yarra spirit is just a community of people. And yeah, it's good. Uh, like that connection between the younger students and the older students, it'd be great to see more, uh, more there because it is kind of segregated, but uh, it definitely having that connection there, it, it does make a kid's day if they if they're walking uh, to a, a like a full a full school assembly and they know some of the older kids and um, they wave back and you're you're the most popular kid for that week then. I 100% agree. Part of my role is is I get to work across the school mm. nowadays and, and to be able to see some older students engage and interact with younger students, there's no question that it makes their day. Uh, and, and I agree that is community is part of what, what really makes Yarra. And I, I love the notion that your parents were part of it and that they were involved, um, probably more so in junior school. But were there any clubs or parent groups that you you remember your parents being part of, uh, like there's Yarra music, or there's you know the, there's the canoe and kayaking, there's the the skiing team that often rely on parent support. Yeah, so my uh, mum was very much involved with Yarra music. At one stage, she was president of uh, Yarra music, and I know she really enjoyed being involved in that, being involved with the concerts. She would often organise food for the kids after the concerts. Uh, she'd be involved with uh, ticketing or uh, any fundraisers. She'd uh, organise, uh, she'd help organise the, uh, I guess, gifts and the uh, silent auction uh, things that uh, would be sold. So, yeah, she was, um, it definitely kept her, Involved, and then she got to know some of the parents that I was friends with. Oh, my friends as parents, and uh, she got to know the teachers. And I know my grandmother would also get involved as well. So, um, and and all my friends knew my mum and knew my grandmother, and they would go up and have a chat to them all the time. And yeah, that was nice. I thought that was. Uh, just nice to have instead of, oh, it's my it's my mum. I'm embarrassed. No, definitely not. 
That's great. That's a, a great reflection, and uh, and a shout out to all the mums and grandmas, and uh, and and dads, of course, as well. Oh, yeah. um, I wonder, in terms of the academic foundation, what sort of subjects, in addition to music, sort of were where you headed? You know, were you into writing and English and literature, or was it more in the math sciences, or were you drama and 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 music and performance? Where where did you hen- tend to hang out? Um, that's a, I was very varied. I, that, and that's, I, I guess, who I am as a person. I, I like having variety in my life. And I, I guess finishing off my school life, I, I was doing a lot of maths. I really enjoyed my math subjects. I was doing art. I did uh, visual communication and design. I did music, of course. And, um, I did English and geography, so a very wide breadth of subjects. And putting all that together as we get toward the senior end of the school, what did that turn into in terms of a, a, don't tell us necessarily the number, but what subjects did you study at the very end and did did that give you the number that you were looking for? Did you get the results you were hoping for? Yeah, so... Um, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself in year 12. I was aiming for a number that was in the top 10% and I didn't, I didn't get that, but I did manage to get a number in the top 20%, which is, I think, amazing. Now I look back and I think that's a great achievement and it definitely didn't hold me back now. I'm, I've gone where I wanted to go, but I remember at the time, feeling really disappointed and really upset because I didn't get that goal of the top 10%. And I, I was also surrounded by a lot of students. Well, a lot of my friends, they were very high achievers and they uh, they all had similar goals. And uh, I guess now reflecting back, it's – and especially now with the knowledge of you don't – that end number isn't – the speed hump that everyone thinks it is, you can still get where you need to go. You don't, it, it's not going to stop your dreams from happening if you don't get what you wanted per se. But if you give it your all, your all you'll get there. Absolutely. I, I think that's a really, really important message to, to keep reinforcing that, yes, we should do our best. Yes, we should aim high. But whatever the outcome, if you are determined, if you are committed, then you will find a way to to get where you you ultimately want to be. And for you, where was that? So what happened after Year 12? Where did you go from there? I got uh, into Swinburne University studying engineering and I started in biomedical engineering uh, for my first year and decided that it wasn't quite for me. And so I swapped over to mechanical engineering. And uh, yeah, so now I am a qualified mechanical engineering uh, engineer. Wow. Okay. And I imagine that that's a field that not too many females are in. No, it's not. Uh, I I definitely had a few lectures where I was one of maybe four or five girls out of 100, 200 students. 
So it's it's not a popular one for the females. But I imagine that you've stuck with it. You're you love what you do. And what do you do as a mechanical engineer? What what's a day to day normal normal if if that is such a thing for you? What do you do during the day? <laughs> uh, my day to day varies. Uh, yeah, I I currently work for Metro Trains as a fleet performance engineer. I track the trains. Uh, performance. So one one particular type, the Siemens fleet. And so I'm making sure that it's getting from A to B without any incidents or out any failures. But given Metro, it there are definitely failures. <laughs> and uh, that keeps me in the job though, because I get to investigate what happened, how can we rectify it and how can we make sure it doesn't happen again. Wow. So I know not many people are traveling on public transport at the moment, but you're not saying that you're responsible when the train's late, are you? (laughs) Not always, but sometimes if you hear them say over the announcement that there's a train fault, usually I'm getting a phone call not too soon later. Right. Okay. And do you then go on site to fix it or is there a sort of a distant computer aided way that you can manage whatever it might be? Usually I, I'm not the one to go to site per se. I, we have a maintenance team, uh, full of electricians and fitters and they're the ones to attend. And I love that most of the time they do the hard yak, hard yakker of the work they're they're doing the the fault finding and putting it back together but every now and again the uh, I'm mainly looking at trends and if there's uh, a type of fault that's a happening that's happening often and it's occurring more and more often I've got to step in and figure out what's happening why is it happening and how do I rec- rectify it so can you give us an example of that? I, I'm just fascinated by, look, there's no question that there is much more complexity to a train running to schedule and running efficiently than than what I would ever understand. And it's obviously more than just it takes a long time for people to get on and off the train and, and it, it's more than just whether the, the driver speeds up quickly enough or slows down enough. There's other intricacies, no doubt. But what would be a... I don't know, it's the most recent problem that you had to fix or, or a big one that, that you found a way through? One of the major projects I've been working on for the past 12 months or so is the Siemens Gangway replacement project. Uh, so for those who don't know train lingo, the gangway is the walkway between uh, two joining carriages. So on the Siemens fleet, the walkway is open, so you don't have to walk through any doors uh, to access the next carriage. Uh, The train is now 16 years old or so, and these gangways have started to deteriorate just by age and that repetitive movement stress that they've been under for so long. Uh, Just to comfort everyone, the old gangways are still very safe, just looking a bit tired. Anyway, we've gone to gangway design specialists in Germany and they've made a custom designed gangway for the fleet. 
I was actually fortunate enough to go to Germany last year to inspect the first prototype and represent Metro in signing off the design, which was a great honour. Um, so at the moment we're now installing these new gangways to the trains. So if you're ever on a Siemens train, you'll see these new gangways by the added safety barriers that we've installed on the side of the train to close the gap between carriages. Unfortunately, people have been hurt by falling in between the carriages from the platform. So these barriers will stop that from happening. That's really interesting. And and I appreciate your your offering the confidence that it's not a safety risk and I appreciate that and I thank you for doing that. <laughs> I wonder, just to give me a sense of scale, when I think of a train and a train within your fleet, am I basically thinking of three carriages, kind of a front, a middle and an end? And if that's what we would classify as a train, how many trains are in your fleet? Like how big is it? Because you must have some that are not in operation while you're maintenance and, and fixing them and so forth. How many How many are we talking? How, what's, how, what's the size of the fleet that you're part of? So the fleet that I'm part of, a three-car set, which is what you described, a unit, we, we've got 72 Siemens units at and that's our smallest fleet. So we've also, on the Metro network, we've got the Comeng fleet and the Extrapolis fleet. And so both of those have around 200 units. So there are a lot of lot of trains on our network. So you've mentioned three different types. Are they modifications or, or improvements to a particular um, structure or building or technology of those different fleets of trains? So they're completely different uh, types of trains. So the Comeng train is the oldest one on our network. It's about 35 to 40 years old. It's uh, It was running around in the 80s. So that's coming to its end of life and there's um, slowly starting to uh, decommission those. The Extrapolis train is a French-made train and they're, um, uh, they've been running around a, re- a similar time to the Siemens train, so they've been around since the early 2000s. Um, and then, yeah, the Siemens. So the when when the Extrap and the Siemens were brought onto the network, uh, pretty much the government chose to have a sample of each and they went with Extrap to expand, but we got to keep the Siemens fleet as well. So that's why we've got three different uh, train types. Uh, but I'm sure uh, most people have heard in the news that we're getting a new type of train again, which is the high-capacity uh, metro trains, and eventually those will replace all the trains and we'll have one type of train, like you'd see in uh, some of the big cities like um uh, um, I've blanked on names of cities, London and New York. <laughs> okay, and, and high capacity meaning that, that you, for the same, maybe the same number of units, you can carry more people. Is that because it's a, a double-decker train or there's less seating capacity or they're bigger bigger on the inside? How, how can you fit more people in? So they are they're longer trains. So at the moment we run... 
So we, I, I was saying before we got the three car sets, we actually run them in six car sets. So they couple together. What the new trains are one long train of seven cars. So it's an extra carriage essentially. Uh, and so it is an extra carriage longer than what we currently have. Hmm. And are our platforms built to accommodate a longer train or are we going to have to do some modifications? Yeah. So the, uh, Rail Projects Australia have been doing a lot of work on on this, especially on the lines that will uh, will run these trains to start off with, which is the Sunbury line and your Dandenong um, um, corridor. So a lot of those stations are getting uh, remade and having the platforms extended. So it will right. accommodate these new trains. Yes, yes. I wonder, and, and this might be a silly question, but where where do trains go after they've finished their use? Do they go to a, a, a country circumstance or are they, like where is the train carriage graveyard? <laughs> um, so do you mean when they're decommissioned or at night? So when they go to, when they go to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking, I'm, I'm curious about both of those, but I was thinking more when they're decommissioned, when they're no longer fit for public use or at least our use in Metro Melbourne. Um, a lot of them, they usually go to a depot like the depot I work at. I work at Newport Depot and they sit on some of the available tracks there for quite a while um, until they're broken up into their parts and they're they're sold off to different recycling um, centres and uh, we may scavenge some parts that we may need for other fleets and uh, but uh, some museums buy them so there's a train museum at Newport and you can go see some of the old train types uh, there on the weekends Uh, but I believe this is something the government is working on and I don't work for the government, so I shouldn't be quoting them, but it is something they are working on is a removal plan of the of the older trains and uh, where they can go responsibly and uh, where they can be recycled responsibly. I wonder if there's any sense and and you know and i'm I'm naive to this, I appreciate that, but is that you know I love a, an old country estate or property that has somewhere along the line bought an old tram or an old train carriage and they've refurbished it and it's a some pretty cool accommodation or they've turned it into a cafe or a restaurant or is there any sense of reusing an old carriage into accommodation we we talk a lot about accommodation crises and, and there's, you know, there's there's lots of people who are out on the street. Is there a way to reuse these, what I imagine, are, are, even though they may not move and roll and connect very well together anymore on train tracks, maybe, maybe there's something safe and secure about the shell that we could turn into something new and helpful and useful. Yeah, definitely. You're sounding like an engineer there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm far from an engineer. Maybe just have the odd idea every now and then. <laughs> no, it's, so, okay, um, so I, I, let's... I, I do... I, 
I do know that some uh, restaurant owners have bought old trains and uh, made restaurants out of their trains and put them on roofs of buildings and that. So I can't see why not. You could make accommodation out of them. What What's it going to cost me if I want to buy a unit? What's it going to cost me? Oh, I've got a couple of $10 million there. <laughs> they're they're, they're who, not cheap. Who unit? No, wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. Anyway, let's. that's fascinating. Who, who knows what might happen? And, uh, and I guess if one day we see some, uh, whether it be emergency accommodation or short-term accommodation for people who otherwise would be homeless, then you heard it first right here on Yarra's uh, inspired by Yarra podcast. <laughs> We're talking with Claire Atkinson from the class of 2009. Claire, I wonder if you can share with us a little bit about your contact with Yarra today, whether it be through friends that you might still be in contact with, whether you're, you, when was the last time you came to the school and, and what differences have you noticed? Yeah, well, I still hang out with a few of my high school friends. We were all very close in high school, so it's great that we're still connected. Um, For a while after high school, I was playing hockey with uh, the old Yarra hockey team. Unfortunately, that team's no longer together, but uh, a couple of us still stay in contact, which is nice. And um, I actually haven't been to the school in many, many years. I, I live nearby, so I drive past it all the time, and I just wish I could go in and have a look. <laughs> well, once once we're all able to and, and we can move freely again, then just come on in and, and ask for me and I'll come and I'll, uh, I'll show you around for sure. Oh, that would be awesome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if I offer a phrase to you, whether it's something that resonates, whether it's something that you recall and reflect on fondly, and that is our school motto, Lavavi Oculus, and whether or not you understood or understand what that means? What does it translate to? And what does it actually mean to you? Yeah, so I've been thinking about this all day and uh, honestly, I've had the school song stuck in my head all day because <laughs> that's what comes to mind first is, uh, and this is how much of a music nerd I, I am. I've still got the words running around in my head because we had to sing it so many times. Um, but I guess in um, seriousness, uh, uh, we lift up our eyes. I, I think from a sense in from high school, it was that preparing and giving opportunities for the future. And I, I know in the extracurriculum activities I was involved in, they were definitely the major parts of that made me who I am. And I guess, yeah, academia-wise, as I said, I didn't do too bad with my ATAR and Interscore, but that's not the end-all and end-all. It is learning those um, skills to set you up for life. So your time management skills, your social skills, your uh, how you interact with other people. It's really high school is your your chance to become the human being you're meant to be um, moving forward. And I guess today how I resonate with it is um, you should always look forward to 
I, I mean, that's how you stay happy. You know, either you're looking forward to a holiday or you're looking forward to a, a promotion or even catching up with friends on a Friday night. Um, I think it's a, it's really important to keep looking forward and um, to, to stay happy and, and have a great life. <laughs> I, I agree with what you say about the value of keeping our eyes up and looking further ahead and, and anticipating and hoping and striving and looking forward to things in the future. You you made a very interesting comment there about the co-curricular and the value of the co-curricular program. Yes, academic school is a place to, to, to build a base for that, but it's also about, as you said, becoming or helping you to learn who you are and, and becoming the person that you were created to be. And I wonder if, if Claire, you could reflect on the notion of who are you? Who am I? That is a great question. I'm still working it out. But, <laughs> but I know Yarrow gave me, it gives you the opportunity to discover who you were. And I know uh, I was a very shy person throughout primary school and high school and being especially being part of the music department that brought me out of my skin and being part of the 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 shows and the drama productions uh I was a completely different person and uh I loved being that person but uh, I know in the classroom I was quite more reserved and a bit more quiet and I, I guess it's given the opportunity to um, open up and uh, I, I know a lot of maybe uh, other students from other schools don't have that opportunity with extracurricular but um, with Yarra that was the thing I loved the most about Yarra was the extracurriculum and getting involved Fantastic. and being that person I wanted to be the- <laughs> yeah absolutely and Yes, it's available and, and it's still there today and it's rich and there are so many options and choices, but it still comes down to finding the balance between what is what we deem as compulsory and what what is your choice. And to an extent, it still requires the student to put their hand up and say, yes, I'll have a go at that. And it impresses me that even though you self-acknowledge yourself as shy, somebody who would be less inclined to speak up or less inclined to put themselves forward. And yet in the midst of that and who you were as a young person, realising there's value in having a go and and maybe stepping outside of your comfort zone and and getting involved in those activities. And, And maybe it is because of those early experiences of connecting with some older kids that you realise it's worth the risk. It's worth putting yourself into those situations where you, you go, well, who knows what I might learn? Who knows what I might discover? Who knows who I might meet? And and I, I endorse that attitude and that approach both for you and your generation but also those who are still living it now, those who are at school and our ELC students for now who, <laughs> who have, you know, very different opportunities and experiences than what you had and yet they still have to step forward and they still have to have a go and uh, so I appreciate your observations around that 
Claire, I wonder if I may move us to what I like to call the lightning round or some quick fire questions where I'm going to throw a whole lot of thoughts and ideas and and just the first thing that pops into your head is going to be um, the answer that we're looking for. So Claire Atkinson from the class of 2009, what house were you in when you were at Yarra? I was in Hughes. And were Hughes any good back in your day? Oh, we won a few uh, swimming sports and uh, um Athletic sports, but I remember we definitely lost quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no doubt you had, were a great contributor to the swimming sports success. Yeah, so I was usually pretty busy on swimming sport day. Where did they hold the swimming sports back in your time? So in primary school, it was def- it was in the 25-metre pool that was next to the cafeteria if the cafeteria is still where it was when I was there uh but in the later years in uh in high school it was at the Ringwood pool which I know now is completely different as well (laughs) it is it is don't don't things keep changing hey yeah I can't keep up (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if there was a particular musical or drama that is memorable for you probably one that you were performing in and whether it's because you did it really, really well or maybe it was just a, a great team to be part of or, or dare I say maybe there was an occasion, a performance that that maybe you hit a couple of wrong notes. <laughs> Definitely a standout was Les Mis. Uh, I was in year 11 when we did Les Mis and I just remember every night getting a standing ovation and it was incredible that production was incredible to be a part of that is beautiful I, I i never got to see that i joined the school a little after that but i got goosebumps when you said that because i've heard lots of very positive things about that and uh, and i wish there was an opportunity to go back to those good days how did you travel to school oh. when you were coming to and fro school um, my mum would often Drop me off uh, before and after work. But in year 12, the, when I got my license, because I've got a birthday earlier in the year, I got to drive all through year 12. Very good. And did you happen to be able to help a couple of other people get to and from school then as well? Oh, yeah, I would often uh, drop a few friends off at home and do some detours. <laughs> <laughs> what would we find in your lunchbox while you're at school? Uh, honestly, in high school, I was pretty bad uh, in terms of a lunch. I would often come to school empty-handed and I would scab off all my friends. <laughs> um, I, but back when my mum used to make me my lunch, I would uh, usually get a sandwich and uh, a piece of fruit and uh, usually a roll-up or some kind of treat in there as well. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. I wonder, once we're able to, is there a travel destination that you would either be looking to go to or maybe one that you've been and that you would recommend to us? Oh, well, actually, I'm meant to be in America right now on a holiday. <laughs> um, so I would love to actually have that holiday, maybe next year if... Touchwood things improve. <laughs> uh, 
but in terms of recommendation, uh, recommendation in university, I took six months off uni to travel around Europe. And that was probably one of the best experiences of my life. And again, being a shy person that brought me out of my shell even more because I, I only went with a couple of friends, but I did a lot of holidaying by myself. So I was forced to go and talk to people, go and make friends, go on tours and, uh, it changed my life. And so I highly recommend for any current students listening to this, uh, if you get the opportunity when you're, when you've left school, definitely, um, get out of your comfort zone and go travel the world. That's a great encouragement. I I really appreciate that and endorse that as well. Um, Claire, if you had the chance to, and when we do eventually, you'll have the chance to host a dinner party and I'm interested to know what you would cook. What's your specialty? Oh, um, usually um, if I'm having people over, I'd probably fire up the barbie and have some... uh, have some meat on the barbie to share amongst my friends. Uh, I love a good cheese board though, so I definitely have a cheese board. Nice, nice. <laughs> if if you uh, had the opportunity to invite three people from the history of Yarra, whether they be students, teachers, people from your generation or either side, maybe even today, who would be three people that you'd love to invite to a, a barbie at your place? Yeah, okay. Um, probably my first invite would go to either Mr. Farrell or Mrs. Lee, who were my maths teachers at Yarra, and uh, I know they put in a lot of hard work with me to, <laughs> to get me through maths, but also they gave me the idea of becoming an engineer. So I just love to share, I guess, my story and thank them for pushing me to become an engineer. Um, second person I'd invite would be, and this would be hard because oh, there's so many music teachers I would want to invite, but uh, probably Mrs. Legg, she was my viola teacher. And uh, yeah, I, I'd just love to catch up with her and see how she's going and, uh, also apologize for all the lack of practice I I did in high school. <laughs> I know I, I <laughs> yeah, I, I I was not the best student. <laughs> um and then the third oh would number three be? Uh actually I'd probably invite my year six teacher. Um what was her name? Oh this is this is gonna kill me that I can't remember her name, but she, uh, I remember Year Six just being a pivotal point in uh, my schooling life uh, because we were transitioning to Year Seven and we were the big kids of the uh, of the junior school, and I just re- remember some of the classes we had with her. She sometimes we just have conversations for two hours about life and what's happening in the world. And it wasn't necessarily a scheduled curriculum, but it was just important to talk about. And, 
just have that connection with other students and everyone would just be so engaged in the conversation and um yeah it would be great to speak to her again and I'm really annoyed I can't remember her name (laughs) it's a a beautiful memory what I'll do is I will look it up and I'll include it in uh, maybe in the intro to this episode or maybe at the end of it just to uh help uh, help other people resonate with who that might have been because mm-hmm. that'll spark a memory for other people as well. Is there a particular piece of work that you're very proud of, something that you maybe you you outdid what you expected or maybe you worked really hard and you you got it in on time or a, a piece of work that that really comes to mind? Oh, a piece of work. I've got a painting that's in my spare room at the moment that I did for uh, visual communication and design, and it's of a baby eating food. It was, <laughs> and we had to uh, – we did it in four different styles. So there was a grey lead style, paint side, a, a colouring pencil side, and a dot um, texture side. And I just remember – the whole way thinking this is going to look crap, this is not going to look good at all. And then when it finished, I, I remember comparing it to the uh, the picture I was uh, mimicking it off and thought, hey, this isn't too bad. <laughs> well done. Well done. That's really good. I, I appreciate your ability to to reflect and, uh, and share the story around how it has changed and moved and, and gone beyond your expectations along the way. I want to give you the opportunity for a 30-second brag. What's going really, really well for you right now? What's something that you're, you know, super impressed with how you are showing up right now? Oh, um, I think something that I'm really excited about, maybe not necessarily want to brag about, is uh, I'm starting to rethink uh, my role in engineering and I would love to get instead of into I'm currently in more of an analysis side of things I would love to get into a design area so I'm starting to do some online courses in design and I'm starting to work with uh, design software and really get more creative and get and hopefully I'll move into a role where I can be more creative and draw on the I guess my music and my art side of life and yeah, I guess over the last few weeks I've I've been spending quite a bit of time rethinking what did I really enjoy in high school and at university and I really enjoyed being crea- creative. So I'm really excited to see, I guess, where my next step will be. And, um, yeah, hopefully in the next maybe six to 12 months I'll be in a completely different role doing um, – designing new components or designing new new things for the world. (laughs) Love that. Love that. Or a new new use for a train carriage. Yeah, well, you've given me a great idea. I'm just (laughs) going to steal that. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. Go for it. Because, look, ideas, ideas are worth nothing. It's not until somebody goes and takes action, puts it into practice and, and does the work behind it that it can turn into something pretty special. But I'd love to be there at the grand opening when you first put your first uh, first one together. 
I wonder, Claire, if um, if you can reflect for a moment on uh, a book or a documentary or a movie that um, perhaps either a recommendation or, or maybe even something that you think young people would benefit from spending the time uh, engaging with today. Yeah, definitely. I don't know if you've had any barefooters on your show, but I'm a big uh, barefoot investment fan and uh, I loved that book and it's very well written. It's um, Scott does a really w- good job of not only explaining f- uh, fi- your finance and commerce and how, I guess, money works, but it really sets you up uh, really well for sa- so you can save and so you can really budget your your money. And so I'm a pretty practical person when it when it comes down to it. And I really enjoyed the book. I thought it was it's really funny to read and you get a lot out of it. And so that's what me and my partner, we're both really big barefooters and we uh have all our money in uh different accounts and uh you know, we've got this house now because we were able to save up for it and we were able to track what we were spending on and see what we can, um, I guess, what habits we could change to help our savings go up. So in terms of, uh, especially for young people, I think it's really important. Uh, I know I came out of high school not really knowing much about money per se and like my I didn't really have a budget I didn't really understand a budget I didn't understand interest and um I think this is something that every everyone in the world should understand the basics of just so they can get themselves set up and get themselves financially secure for the future that's an outstanding recommendation. We've not had that recommendation before that, but I would fully endorse. Uh, is Scott Pape, I think, is it? Is that sound right? Yeah. Yeah, Scott Pape. Yeah. The ba- the Barefoot Investor. And he's got a couple of um, follow-up books from that now as well to, uh, I guess, really to reflect his own journey and his own uh, various stages of life too, which is uh, yeah a really strong recommendation. Is there an app or a habit or a tool that is part of your regular um, use or one of your go-tos that, that helps you to be your best version? Um, yeah, at the moment I've been doing a bit of food tracking, which I know isn't for everyone, but um, I guess I'm at the age where you can't eat two large pizzas and not have the repercussions of it. <laughs> and uh, so I'm... Yeah, tracking my food now and just making sure I'm making uh, good decisions more often than not. And then also having the chances to uh, splurge and have a, a good night off where I do enjoy a pizza and uh, maybe a couple of drinks. But yeah, it's uh, something that I've been really into this year and I'm feeling a lot better. I'm feeling a lot healthier because of it. Claire, I really appreciate the your willingness to give us so much of your time this afternoon and, and thanks for your patience with uh, finding the time but also negotiating some of the technical challenges that we have experienced. I, I appreciate your patience. I have really, really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate your 
ability to reflect and then tell stories around that, but also your uh, really just likable, authentic, natural flow that you've uh, been sharing with us today. So I'm thrilled to have had this conversation with you. Thank you for sharing your stories about how you have been inspired by Yara, but also I acknowledge that now and into the future, you will be an inspiration to Yara. And we look forward to <laughs> you coming forth with some of those creative projects and uh, and seeing your name on some of those things that, that become part of our everyday. And that'll be a great celebration. Claire Atkinson from the class of 2009, thank you for your time. Thanks for your storytelling. Thanks for being part of this podcast episode. <laughs> Thanks very much, Paul. And that all but wraps up another episode of Inspired by Yarra. What a genuine, raw, honest and real human being. Just a delight. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Claire Atkinson and I hope you did too. Just a good human. Oh, (laughs) you know, she was grappling with trying to remember and recall who her year six teacher was who had a significant impact on her. Soon after we stopped recording, we agreed that it must have been, and it was, we've confirmed, Mrs. Di Greenway. She is a Yarra legend and has had impact on many, many people over the years. But Claire, thank you for your contribution, not only to our school and wider community, but also in the work that you continue to do for the extended community today. I hope that you, the listener, will join us next time when we sit down with another Yog to see how they too have been inspired by Yarra. And in order to never miss an episode, we encourage you to subscribe on your podcast player. There will be an opportunity for you to subscribe to this podcast. And look, we don't often request this of you but if you feel that there is something of value in a podcast like this then we would love you to share it choose somebody maybe grab their phone and show them how to download a podcast tell them what it is and check it out on their behalf my name's paul joy and on behalf of all at yarra and especially the team who put these episodes together for you i want to wish you another day of inspiration where you go out there and you make a positive impact in the world around you.